0: You wanna leave? You wanna go off and fight the war? All right, all right, I won't stop you. I'll even put in the paperwork. But if you wanna stick around, we've got Saving Private Ryan up next. All right, everybody, welcome into episode six of the Movie Goat podcast. John Moyer on the microphone, as always, joined by Brady and Brian. And today we are tackling Steven Spielberg's 1998 World War II epic Saving Private Ryan. But before we get into the cast characters and all the above, we got to say hello to the guys. So, Brady... uh how was your weekend? Tell us a little bit about uh, what's been going on with you.
1: Pretty good weekend. I I think I I took a little bit of an overdose of uh, three hour epics. I obviously watched Saving Private Ryan as some prep. Also watched uh, Schindler's List as prep because I wanted <laughs> to see how he uh, portrayed the, the time period, the same time period in different ways. So that was pretty heavy. And then I planned on watching The Thin Red Line. So because I haven't watched it in so long and I know that that's usually the argument is it should have been thinner line or saving private ryan um but last night when I went to turn it on at 9 I was like I don't know if I have another <laughs> 3 hour <laughs> or 2 <laughs> in me so didn't get around to it but I'm excited to get into this cuz I think there's a lot of uh meat on the bone to talk about this movie
0: all right and let's kick it up to Brian Brian what about you I know you were watching this movie over the weekend anything else you get into that uh would be of note to the listeners?
2: Yeah, I guess uh, not really to of note to listeners, but I'll, I'll share what, what I did. We went out to dinner on Saturday. We li- We actually live in, in Alexandria um, now and kind of have adopted suburban life. So we don't go into the city much. So Saturday, my wife and I went to a new restaurant in D.C. Uh, called Astoria. And it had amazing, amazing like uh, I would Call it, I guess, Chinese food, but um, really, really good, really unique place. Uh, and then we got ice cream. It was a good little date night. Um, yeah, that was pretty much the highlight of the weekend. Otherwise, typical stuff, yard work, that kind of thing. What they say in the heat, uh, baseball and barbecues, it's pretty much what we're up to these days. So,
0: Regular type life. I love that. Yep. All right. Well, I mean, Brady, this was your pick. Spielberg is your guy you want to introduce the audience not only to the movie your relationship with the movie but overall your relationship with Steve in general
1: yeah I think I think the the big stepping point for me I feel like a lot of you know I I put air quotes on this young cinephiles haven't have maybe a similar trajectory that I did when it comes to Spielberg when you're really young you love like obviously the Indiana Jones movies, Jaws, Jurassic Park, all those big, uh, et of course, uh, like blockbuster, popcorn movies, and then you get a little older, you get in your late teens, you come a little bit more pretentious, and you're like, oh, you know Spielberg, he de- he's like he's no Scorsese, he doesn't he doesn't have the fastball, he's just a populist filmmaker that that really doesn't have the juice as much. That's that's me in probably my college era, and then as I get older, I've become come full circle. And I've, I've kind of landed on the side that like, one, he's probably the best populist filmmaker of the last 40 years. It's like, I mean, Hitchcock is like the other contender outside of that. But I think that, especially if you look at the the, the landscape of popular cinema in the current lens, nobody has what he has when it comes to just framing action sequences, entertaining the audience. I mean, this sounds sounds like a weird thing to say. Like, Schindler's list is way too entertaining almost to be a movie about the Holocaust, but he finds a way to make a three-hour epic, like emotionally draining movie that you're not like zoning out in. And I feel like he's the only guy that really could have pulled that off. And I have like my respect for him's grown. And I've also, as of recently, just especially with this rewatch, I was thinking about it because I know the Fablemans came out last year, and I really like the Fablemans. And what really impressed me about it is that. I feel like if you saw the trailer, you thought it was going to be another like, you know, like an older statesman doing this is the magic of the movies. This is why, like, you know, this is how I became me and movies are so wonderful. And then you watch the movie and it's like a very like dark sensibility. It's really it's honest like his take is that he's like cursed. He's like, movies are evil and they're capable of doing really bad things, and they're like they're and like it has to do with his parents' divorce and his mo- his mother having an affair with his father's best friend, which like is all ha- stuff that happened in real life. And when I rewatched like Saving Private Ryan, it's not I wouldn't say it's like a top five Spielberg movie for me. Um, I think it's a really like really solid movie. I think it's one of the great you know recent World War II movies, definitely, and it obviously changed the way war war like war has been depicted in movies too. But I feel like. Watching it, the this time I I kind of just stuck with me. He's obviously Spielberg's of an age that he grew, he came, you know, he, he was alive during the draft, the Vietnam draft. A lot of his like people of his like his contemporaries had to go, things like that, and he found a way to make a World War II movie basically a Vietnam movie. They're put on a mission that serves no real purpose, like other than PR. They don't feel like all the troops are like they're all saying, you know, fubar, fubar. They're very unhappy to be there. They don't see the point in it. And it's like a very, and he makes a point also to show even like in that opening Normandy scene, like U.S. soldiers committing war crimes against, you know, they are Nazis or Wehrmacht, but like they're killing like people that are surrendering and then laughing and making jokes. And he's making a point to do that. So I think as populist as he is, he has a really dark sensibility that I don't think is recognized as much as it should be. And now after that long ramble, I'll open the floor to what your guys' thoughts and what your guys' uh, relationship to this movie has been in the past.
0: Brian, do you have any thoughts on Spielberg? I was going to uh, to ask you a different question, but if you've got thoughts on Spilly, go ahead.
2: Well, I was actually, uh, Brady, I thought, you know, you you obviously have a lot to share on this. You've thought about this a lot. Um, So I wanted to ask you, because you didn't bring him up, but I feel like James Cameron is, you know, pretty similar repertoire and you know more of a i guess populist type of director i guess how does spiel or how do spielberg and cameron compare to you
1: i think what's interesting about cameron is that i would say he on paper his movies is like should be darker like the terminator it's basically a horror movie right and like you know terminator 2 and things like that but i feel like his have more of an optimism almost even though like Terminator 2 is like the humankind has been annihilated by nuclear war. You know, aliens has it bleakness. But I feel like he's one, he also is not as um, he's not pumping out as many movies as Spielberg does. Spielberg's able to like pump them out like no one else. Obviously, James Cameron's more focused on like pushing technology forward. Um, but I feel like I like if you'd asked me again, I think if you'd asked me like five years ago, I probably would have been like given the edge to Cameron, maybe. Um, but now I just I feel like the the, the number of things Spielberg has done in his career and the big swings he has taken, not to say James Cameron hasn't taken swings, he's taken swings, but he's been more, I think, like decided about it. He ta- he's, he knows what he's doing. He's very, and like Spielberg's like, I'm going to make a musical in my late career. Also, he's like, he's made like a lot of, like Empire of the Sun is another world war II movie tackles, but it's from a child's perspective. You know, he does AI artificial intelligence, which is one of the bleakest blockbusters to ever come out. And like, you know, like Minority Report, super dark. He's like tackling these themes that I never really think I gave him the credit that he deserves. And now that maybe because he's older and I'm looking back at his like career, and you get a pretty we have a pretty good idea, you know, you know how many movies does he have left. And I think like the that he got labeled as a guy who ruined movies with Jaws because Jaws is like that first blockbuster that leads into Star Wars that ends the new the Hollywood um, the new Hollywood movement in the set in the seventies. I feel like it's just. I don't know the fact that he's able to make these big palatable movies on like such dark subject matter and it translates so well and his movies don't really do as well in the box office in the modern lens. And I don't know if that's a comment on the audience or what maybe, you know, obviously obviously like the sensibility shift, but I just really think that there's some, there's more to him. Like if you watch Munich, Munich's nuts, it's crazy. And I love Munich and maybe we'll talk about that movie someday in another full episode. But yeah, I think James Cameron, he's like, He's he's incredible at what he does. And Spielberg, he's on a totally different wavelength and he does he's great at what he does.
2: Yeah. I feel like wow. it's like an obvious comparable, but they are very different. And I think it's well said what you're saying, that Spielberg makes these movies that are very popular, huge blockbuster movies, but they're not necessarily always like Hollywood endings. They're not always like exactly what you'd expect, I guess. There is a lot of times a dark undertone or a dark meaning. To so many of his movies. I think what makes Spielberg so good, just personally, is like, I feel like he can elevate a pretty standard script with the way that he directs movies. Like, I think Mm -hmm. about this movie that we're about to get into. And I think what makes this movie so good is that these small little directorial choices that he makes and these little tiny three seconds of film during a bigger scene where you see something happen and you're just like, wow, that was amazing. And it's memorable. And it's like, I just think the way that he shoots things and you leave a Spielberg movie, like, I mean, even like Jurassic park. And there are just so many iconic moments that I feel like other directors don't capture as effectively. I just think he elevates things and it could be like a pretty standard script, but he'll make it something that, that is just like amazing. So I think he's well, Like, even, like, great. in
1: that same franchise, Jurassic Park, other people have tried and no one can do it like him. Yeah. I think that's, like, show. and even, like, it's funny because, like, when you talk about James Cameron, too, he made his Vietnam movie, and that's Aliens. So they both, like, have approached the subject matter in a different ways. And I think it's really interesting, as populist filmmakers, that, like, Spielberg does, like, this epic World War II, Man on a Mission, Vietnam kind of themed. I know maybe people, maybe, maybe my take's off on it, but that's, like, th- that just kept on hitting me as I watched it, because I've been watching a lot of Vietnam movies lately, probably. But I was just like, he found the one mission in a World War II story that could possibly be like, when you're watching it, you know, like, it doesn't make sense why they have to do this, you know?
0: Yeah. I just wanted to, Brian, you mentioned the the shots. I wanted to give a a shout-out to Janusz Kaminski, the cinematographer for this, because I thought that as terrifying as this movie was at times, it was so beautifully shot, and it was so unique, whether it be The very first scene of the storming of the beaches where they're going underwater, there's blood splattering on the camera, the camera scraped off, it's getting hazy, things like that. I thought that there were so many shots in this movie that were just amazing. And you mentioned making the most of a pedestrian script. In this case, he's definitely not making the most of a pedestrian cast. The casting in this movie is amazing. And so Brian, I want to know, is this your... Where would this rank in your Tom Hanks as a leading man? Oh wow. Uh well, I mean, Elvis
2: is clearly Tom Hanks's best. No, I, I'm not even gonna go there. I, I'm, I'm gonna go to bat for <laughs> Elvis. You know I love that movie. <laughs> um oh man. I mean, Forrest Gump is it's hard to it's hard to argue that. Forrest Gump is not his best, Um, but what I like about this movie is just, it's a different Hanks. Like, I feel like you see some range in Hanks, but generally he's kind of like a very likable guy, like very funny. I wouldn't necessarily call him like a leader. I I, I feel like in most of his roles, you don't see a ton of like leadership the way that you see it here. Um, I feel like you normally see more humor. This was a more serious Tom Hanks. I think it was a different performance for him, but he, he obviously, I, I thought he did very well. Um, are we going to get into casting? What ifs? Cause there, there's definitely some interesting ones for, for the Tom
0: Hanks role. Hit, yeah. Hit me. I know two of them and I think, yeah, one of them is very interesting, but go ahead. So the two that I know are Harrison Ford and Mel Gibson,
2: which at the time I think both make a ton of sense. And I do think Hanks is a little bit different than both those guys. Um, I feel like he maybe hasn't been in a role yet at that point of his career that is like the type of stuff that Gibson had done with
0: Braveheart, um, you know, or or like Harrison Ford, even in something like Star Wars. Yeah. what What I really like, I think they made the right choice because I do see those other two guys having a little bit more of a militant streak to them. Whereas i think what made this movie special especially the hanks character was his humanity and no one really knew you know what what his job was and he diffuses that fight later by saying you know i'm an english teacher I, te- I, I, I coach baseball things like that whereas and and at there were times when people were like this is bullshit captain why are we doing this captain like I don't see people talking back to Harrison Ford or, or to, to Mel Gibson. And so that's why I really think Hanks works here. I don't know. I, I probably would have to give the nod to Castaway as my favorite Hanks, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Brady, what do you think? I know you are perhaps the world's biggest Harrison Ford guy.
1: Yeah. It's funny. Cause that'd be really interesting to see like, Spielberg and him team back up, you know, after uh, they'd be coming off last crusade. Would that be the last movie they did between them? Um at that point. I think I I think the Gibson at that point, at that point in his career, like Lethal Weapon 4 territory, I feel like he's a little too like hoorah heroic. Like there's like the the Hanks that the fact that Hanks doesn't completely read as like, you know, a badass. I think that really contributes to the character. And like I could see Ford playing that small because he I've seen him in roles where he kind of like plays somebody who's not as you know like like The Fugitive where he's like he plays scared well so like he can play like and then he but he's like rises to the occasion so I could see him pulling it off but I think Hanks because this is really a transition movie I feel like he's like kind of coming off of like those rom coms that he's been doing and he looks older you can tell he like clearly has a little weight put on in this one and I think that like serves the character well. Even to the point when they're like, he's he was made in the lab. He's the perfect soldier. I'm like, uh, maybe if like Mel Gibson was playing it at that point, that would make more sense. I was like, I don't know. Does he, does he read that much of that? to you guys. But like, I think it's interesting that I think I don't. This is the first movie Hanks and Spielberg had done together. I think that they were looking for a collaboration, and I think it's a pretty perfect match because it's because like after this, you see him playing these kind of roles like in Captain Phillips when he has that emotional breakdown at the end of that movie. It's very similar to like how he's getting like you know the shakes and stuff in this. And I think he, he rose to the occasion in a big way. I think he's the perfect leader. And, you know, this is, I think this is kind of the beginning of America's dad. I don't yeah. think he gets that moniker without this movie.
2: Well, well I, go ahead, Brian. I love the detail that he's a baseball coach. Cause I was like, I, it made me think is Spielberg a big a league of their own fan. And that's why they wrote that in. <laughs>
1: uh, I would, I, You know what I will say? And I know I didn't get my number one Hanks. Is it like a wild swing to say, I'm giving it to Woody, my guy, toy story himself. <laughs>
0: yeah that's i don't know i don't know if i can give a voiceover but
1: uh <laughs> oh come on it's a performance he's giving it his all it's iconic maybe that's a little I, nostalgia talking but i think he brings it
0: all right um one last question about the hanks role and then i really I, i've got a, a good question after this so just one word answer from both of you guys mel gibson we talked a little bit more about harrison ford does this movie play if you know that the lead is australian
1: No. The
0: Australians fought
1: in World War II, uh, if my memory serves correct. But, you know, Gibson plays both sides of the coin. He was born in America, grew up in Australia. <laughs> you know. I All think...
0: right. So, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have pen and paper, but I want you guys to power rank these five character actors.
1: In, are you saying in the, the role in this movie or just in general?
0: Let's do i would say do
1: it in the movie do it in the movie let's, do, let's
0: yeah. do yeah let's do how they perform in this movie ed burns tom sizemore vin diesel adam goldberg and barry pepper because that is a lineup that is a murderer's
1: <laughs> row i know uh, didn't uh, yeah obviously shout out to ted danson i know he got left off the list but I was going
2: core crew. I
1: know, I'm core kidding. He, he, and so it was a, it's every was time someone shows up, it's a pleasant
2: surprise. <laughs> there a four or five, and we have Burns, Sizemore, Goldberg, Pepper, Diesel, Diesel. Diesel. How could I forget?
0: Or uh, all great. I, I'd say there's no there's zone. no
1: loser in this in this ranking. I have to preface
0: that. All right, I've got my list. If you guys are ready. Hey,
2: hit, hit, hit us with it.
0: It might shock you. I thought Ed Burns is number one. He's phenomenal in this movie. Uh, then I've got uh, Tom Sizemore, Goldberg, Pepper, who I love, and then maybe Diesel's just not in it long enough. He brings up the the rear. But overall, like the reason I posed this question was because these five guys as being your your crew is just incredible.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna forego giving my list because this will take me two hours. Now that I'm looking at, it. so let's jumping off of your list. I'm I'm examining your list. You you kicked off number one. Burns. I think Burn. It's almost like where's Burns been? You watch it and he's got like the charisma to spare. He he and he does the great like Spielberg also just knows how to shoot where he like does those perfect insert shots. Like even at the end when he finally gives that look of like acceptance to Private Ryan, like like right before the the bridge sequence is about to go down.
0: He plays the perfect, and you have to have this in every World War II gang, I think, the perfect, like, asshole from the Bronx who, like, thinks he knows a little bit more than everybody, thinks he's a little bit tougher than everybody, he's got the charisma, and I, but he's yeah. also he's kind of right too. Like, yeah, exactly. He is. He's always kind of right. He has
1: impeccable handwriting. That on his the back of his jacket, doing the like the, yeah, his jacket is it, is it Brooklyn, USA? Like with like the perfect rounded. Like it's too, it's too good. Like I just love. It. I want to see him. Like he can't make one mistake. One thing that one letter's
0: off, he doesn't work out. Yeah, I mean, I could Ben. Could could he have had Ben Affleck's career? <laughs> or I mean, or 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 could ben I only, affleck i only
1: think ben affleck could have had this career
0: <laughs> or could ben affleck have had this role and it's so, I wonder, that again you're the making thing,
1: me wonder if like if ed burns should be the guy in air <laughs> sitting behind the desk with his feet up like that's the alternate universe we could have gotten <laughs> yeah.
2: so like one thing about this movie that i looked into is like, Ed Burns, I was like, that sounds like a Brooklyn accent. That sounds authentic. You look it up, he's from Bro- Brooklyn. Or Bro- the Bronx, I'm sorry. Um, it's the Bronx, right? Or no, it's yeah, Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn.
1: I think it's Brooklyn because I noticed how long he had to spell. Yeah, yeah. Like, the yeah. letters literally have to be Brooklyn. perfectly spaced. Yeah. To yeah. For this okay. To work.
2: okay, that passes. That passes for me well. Barry Pepper is from Canada. I've got him ranked. Like, I think for most people, especially – Younger generations, when this movie came out, who watched like our generation when we watched this, everybody got obsessed with this idea of like sniping, like in video games and everything. And it was like Barry Pepper was so cool in this
0: movie because he was like the sniper, right? And I'll say that there's one thing that I love, and and it plays in any movie, whether it's a war movie, a sports movie, someone who has a little like superstition to them when yeah. they're very good at their job you know he touches his cross and then he shoots or so w- later in the uh the bridge scene he's he's like doing a prayer while shooting and i think that always plays and um yeah well he
1: also makes that, that great proclamation like wow why, why did they put us on this mission when god gave me such great talents
2: yeah. <laughs> I- but that that's that's what i was going to say though my my issue is that he's Canadian and I feel like he doesn't quite pull off the southern accent. It, it's a little I'm like, I don't know if we needed it, you know.
1: I feel like I love I don't care how good a southern accent is. I'm 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 game for any southern accent at any point, good or bad, <laughs> especially <laughs> when it's like this hyper religious guy who's like obsessed with sniping. <laughs>
0: that's, that's fair. And but, yeah, I do think that as I said, you know, you need the smart ass from Brooklyn you need like the hardo sarge Sarge's size more i do think you need the goldberg character like the 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 jewish guy who's there fighting for a reason but he's also kind of always got these wise cracks and then you kind of need the dumb southern guy who's just really good at his job and pepper yeah. just kind of had to fill that role
1: i think he plays it's a shame he's another guy like you see him in this in 25th hour and I guess like, oh, and then Battlefield Earth is like the only
0: other movie I know oh. that he's in. Oh, Green Six- Mile. Green Mile. Green Mile. I was going to I say have to 16. admit, never
1: seen Green Mile.
0: 61 wow. is the best, potentially the best made for TV movie of all time. He is phenomenal as Roger Maris in 61. Like, <laughs> he's outstanding.
2: Yeah, he's great. Now, the things I see him in, he's great. He's good in the Green Mile for sure.
0: But, All right, Brian. What? Who? Who do you have that? Who do you have next?
2: Yeah, real quick. So I got Sizemore one, one. I got Ed Burns two. I agree with you on that take. Um, I got Goldberg three. I think he's fantastic in this. Like the, I think his wisecracks are probably like the best. I got Pepper four, mostly because of the accent. And then I got diesel five, unfortunately. But they all I think they all kill it. And I'm a big Vincent Diesel fan. So I, I, think, I think they the, all kill
1: it. We gotta give a little size more. Let's get a little size more corner right here. Cause you know this is a ultimately yes. this is a size more podcast, first and foremost. Very, very much and, so. <laughs> it's a size
2: more teller podcast. That's how we <laughs> describe it to everybody.
1: Like, well, because it's funny, you hear the backstory that like Spielberg said he had to get drug tested like every day on set. And then if not, they'd like reshoot everything and, <laughs> and redo it.
0: Can you imagine being that good? at your job that the world's greatest director is making like potentially his magnum opus at this point and is like, I need you. So I'm going to waste the resources and my time and everything to drug test you every single day because you're the guy that I want. That's incredible.
1: he's He's playing the same, basically the same kind of role as heat, right? He's like in that he's number two to De Niro and he's like, whenever somebody gets out of line, he's the guy that tells you to get in line. Literally, like, that's exactly the same role. And that's like, he's the best to do that. Like, and I don't he, necessarily want him to be the Don. He should be like the conciliary. He's like the guy that you know, who's like gonna come in, give the performance. He has that super intensity where you're not sure when the acting ends and where Tom Sizemore begins. There's always that blurred line with him, with that like high wire intensity.
0: And into to your heat um, comparison, and he, he has the, well, to me, the action is the juice line where he's That's just- The
1: greatest line reading in the history movies. That is my exact, favorite line maybe in all movies.
0: In this one, it's when Hanks is having his crisis and yeah. he's like, well, maybe saving Private Ryan is the only decent thing we do in this war, which is second only to when he's just getting lit up by machine gun fire and he's like, I'm cool. They just knocked the wind out of me at the end. <laughs>
1: It's heartbreaking. You hate to see Sizemore go. But like even that line, it's the whole purpose of the movie has up to that point has been this is a fruitless mission. And they're literally men are dying just to bring on this one guy. They all have mothers. You know, obviously they're worried about Private Ryan's mother. They keep on invoking her. And he's just like, he does that line where he's just like, Maybe this is the only decent thing we do. And then you're like, I guess yeah, he's maybe, maybe Sizemore. Is right <laughs> they gotta stay hang out at the bridge <laughs> well, brian so be- you
0: you had him at number one so give us your yeah. uh so your I, I think my thing with
2: sizemore here i feel like again like he was dealing with his drug addiction spielberg wanted him like he could have gotten somebody else that didn't have to deal with the drug testing and stuff like that for this role clearly he he wanted sizemore for a reason i feel like what sizemore does in this movie is he's like also, you see him collect the dirt um when they on D-Day, and they collect the the dirt in Normandy, and you see him put in his little canister. And he's been to all these different war or all these different locations of World War II, which I don't know if people really fought that many different locations that have like a canister full. Maybe I I don't I'm not a war buff to know, but I think what his character is to me is like he's like experienced and he's savvy, and you he just like exudes a lot of confidence. I feel like. And I think he's, like, the best, like, per- he's, like, a perfect number two for Hanks. Like, Hanks can trust him. He's going to continue to support Hanks. Like, you feel like he will always make the right decision almost. Like, I feel like if I was in war, I would want Sizemore in this movie by my side because I feel like he's going to protect me. That's kind of how I viewed it. And I think he he did such a good job nailing that personality in that role. Yeah. And I think I, kinda, I even
1: saw, like, I read something that Sizemore said, like, he trusts Hanks. He's, like, he thinks he trusts Hanks to a fault. Like it's to the extent where he probably over him. And even yeah. like what you're talking about with the dirt, that's just an example of how great of a visual storyteller Spielberg is. Because yeah. they never really come back to those that dirt cancer. But by seeing that one shot, we know this guy has survived how many battles. He yeah. also has like an interiority where he wants to, he's carrying, like you're carrying a bunch of stuff over there. You do not want to have extra weight just because, but he feels there's a need to bring all this stuff home. And then that creates a whole backstory in your mind. Like, does he have a family who's he doing this for is this for himself is this for his like kid you, you know no and i think that's just the genius of spielberg there
0: and then yeah. i uh, goldberg or uh yeah and then um obviously ending with diesel so just a quick on that i think obviously having a guy in the crew named fish is always essential if you can find a fish you know i don't know what do you guys think about him i thought he was hilarious um and it, he he really brought like a reality and a more grounded character I thought to the crew. Who? Vin Diesel? No. Oh, um, uh, Goldberg. Goldberg. Adam Goldberg. No. Oh. Uh, I think
1: he. I think he's he he's the that necessary comic relief because I feel like the the true grounding guy is uh, Giovanni Ribisi, right? Like, cause he's the kind of guy that like is almost like the observer because he's like you know the medic and he you know he's very knowledgeable and he's kind of on the outside almost. But I I do feel like Goldberg. I don't know. He's another guy where you're like, where has he been? Cause like in the '90s, like in Days of Confusion stuff, he popped so hard. And, like, even when he dies at the end of this movie, because you really don't think it's going to happen. You think the guy's going to get to the top of the stairs and say and, and save him. And then when he does it, it's gut-wrenching.
2: That and is one, That scene is one of the ones that is just, like, it's imprinted in your brain.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And
2: honestly, like, in some ways, it, like, it's an impressive physical acting job. Like, I mean, it was amazing the way that they shot that, but also the way that that whole thing is just, I mean...
1: It's intimate where we've seen so many people die, but that I feel like that one is almost the one that impacts you the most because it just in the, in the fear he has for say, like, please stop, where like he's begging him to stop, where he's yeah. like, let's call it quits. Like, like he almost becomes like a child where like you're fighting with like your brother or something. And he's like, all right, uh, like time out or something like that. Because he's yeah. just desperate at that point. And you just, and I think because you've liked him so much, when that happens, and, and he's getting killed by, you know, a Nazi or German. And that's that just like, it just like, makes it that much worse you're like oh you wish he's the one that deserves to be killing him kind of you you know so i think he's like he he's kind of like a key force in that in in the crew
0: and then finally vincent uh diesel is adrian carpazzo (laughs) what's the uh lesson here never never be the good guy never try and take the, the little girl to safety
1: i feel like yeah i i feel like he's so like bozo almost in his reaction he's like ah cap Cap, she reminds me of my of my niece and he's like carrying around like she's like a rag doll and you're just like you know nothing good's gonna come of this and i think like he plays that like dumb kind of lovable jock almost kind of vibe thing that's happening there and again you hate to see it happen you're just like ah this is like and but then it's it does does that setup that in that instant you know like tom hanks is that one line he's like that's why we don't help children because like in the moment, you're like you you're with Vin Diesel. You're like, yes, why don't you help this family? And then once you realize you're in a war zone, then you realize every decision Hanks makes, like when he's talking to Sizemore later, we're like, if I if nine people die, I saved a hundred. Like these decisions that these impossible decisions, you have to have you have to be very cold and logical about all of it. And that's the weight that Tom Hanks carries the whole movie.
0: Brian, any diesel thoughts?
2: I don't know what to say. I feel bad. I felt like you watch it, you feel so bad for him. Like I don't like it's almost because it, it's Vin Diesel too that you feel bad. Like, you you don't see Vin Diesel in, in that kind of usually doesn't die. But he, like I think prior to this movie, he didn't have much going on. I don't think he this had, was his first movie. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of makes sense. <laughs> but I, I don't. know, It's funny. I'd love to like hear the trajectory. Like who saw him in this movie and said, "Okay, we're gonna make this guy." dom toretto and the yeah, No, it's yeah. funny
1: because i saw like an interview with him uh recently and he's in there like like someone's interviewing him, like why do you love ireland because apparently the film there and he said it was my first movie i was turn, turning 30 tom hanks and spielberg threw a birthday party and i flew my mom over with my first check so i was able to have my 30th birthday party with like the whole crew being hosted by spielberg and, and, and hanks you know the consummate professionals and wow. his mom sat at the head of the table and i was like that's the sweetest thing because you know Nobody's more about family than Vin Diesel. Yeah,
0: exactly. Do you, do you think that he imported Corona instead of uh, Guinness?
1: <laughs> he was like, yeah. Right. They had right. the Guinness and he's just dumping it out. Like, get, get this swill out of here. <laughs> yeah. All
0: right. So the reason I wanted to bring that up, the five guys, no best supporting actor nods mm-hmm. uh, for this movie. Ada, Hanks lost out on lead actor. Spilly, Steven Spielberg won for best directing and then best picture, Shakespeare and Love. But I did want to touch on something. 1998 was a really fun year for movies. We got Big Lebowski, American History X, Truman Show, You've Got Mail, Brady, Wild Things. Know you're a fan of that one. Armageddon. There's something about Mary. Uh, with the list goes on and on. Out a Ruck sight Cowher. a simple
1: plan. Out of sight and a simple plan are two of the best thrillers that come out of the 90s
0: rushmore enemy of the state can't hardly wait the wedding singer uh, he got game and rounders just a a tour de force of movies and you know none of them really got nominated for best picture it was as brady said you thought it was a two-man race between thin red line and and this one and harvey took it with shakespeare and love
1: yeah well that's like that's the that's the like the dark <laughs> element of like Shakespeare in Love which I think is a fine romantic comedy um I don't I, I know like a lot of times I think people have kind of reevaluated it since because they obviously like there's a backlash against it because it won Best Picture I think it's it's a like, fine it doesn't deserve to win Best Picture by any means and apparently it was Harvey Weinstein's politicking that kind of a like air quotes stole the Oscar from Save It Private Ryan um which is just shows you how much power he had that he's able to swing that many votes that hard. Um, but you know, it's the Oscars. They rarely do pick the best picture ever. So
0: <laughs> what, what do you expect also? <laughs> Brian, are you giving the 1998 best picture to big Lebowski?
2: <laughs> I'm like checking your, your years here. Cause I'm like, did the big Lebowski really come out that late? Um, I don't know. They, what a year for movies, man. It's like such a diverse range of types of movies here that we're talking about. Like, I love The Truman Show. Like, I, I think it's such a great movie. Um,
1: now that you say I didn't realize Lebowski, Lebowski would probably be my, my guy in that one. Because that's one. that's just one of my all timers. I mean,
2: you talk about a movie, though, that the Academy is not going to understand, especially coming off the heels of like Fargo. Like, I mean, <laughs> they, they start fargo ready. fargo didn't win best picture I, I don't remember what won that year but fargo didn't win and they're probably like all right the Coen brothers they got this thing the big lebowski and then the trailer drops and they see it and they're like what was that you know that's not that's not oscar winning material but it is
0: one of top five easily favorite movies for me all right so once again the academy gets it wrong but <laughs> i think uh you know, enough, um, enough. To- I actually,
1: I I think this is my moment. This is my moment. I, I was excited to introduce a new potential recurring segment. I didn't tell, I didn't tell the fellows what it was going to be beforehand. Cause I wanted to see what your guys gut reaction was. I want to, I, I want to call this segment. The Al Pacino Switcherino. If you <laughs> could, and you, so the idea is this, you take Al Pacino, whenever, whatever year the movie came out, Pacino in that moment. In an all, I'm not saying you would prefer him recast, just if you could see a new multiverse version of this movie where Al Pacino played the role, which role do you want him taken down in the era of nineteen ninety-eight Pacino? Because I'm like saying obviously my gut reaction is like the easy answer is I want to hear him say, like, oh I'm a school teacher. Oh, I <laughs> teach English composition. <laughs> that was Oh man. I, so didn't do the- is- I didn't do my woo-wah. So I-, I-, I, didn't get into the actual, the new Orleans of it all of his accent. But- uh, yeah. Uh,
0: for me, this is extremely easy uh, because I don't really want uh, my guy in a sustained role here. I want him to come in, throw a couple haymakers and get out. So I have him swapped out for Ted Danson. Oh, <laughs> God. and i've got them being like you take romell and that means you get paris and you take <laughs> paris you got berlin whoah <laughs> it
1: would be so good i think that's actually a really good answer
2: <laughs> i was well, i was gonna say giovanni and i like giovanni but I,
1: I, <laughs> actually like, now, am I crazy if, the, if they just give him the Vin Diesel role because he gets killed early? No one expects it. <laughs> he's like, she will me my niece.
2: <laughs> All but right, this is
1: like I late think, uh... 90s, he's coming off of like any given Sunday.
2: <laughs> Actually, kind of... Brian Cranston's role would be kind of funny, too. He's like negotiating. <laughs>
1: All Just right. out there. I thought it'd be a good thing, but you know, I, like we discussed it could be an interesting little topic we can swing around to. I'm a
0: big fan of that topic and I am here for it going yes. forward. That um, is being the Al Pacino Switcherino. <laughs> All right, so Saving Private Ryan.
1: Yeah, Brady. let's talk about it. <laughs> I think that, okay, first and foremost, we kick it off. What do you guys think about the framing device? I have mixed feelings about it. Um, where it starts out, we open up with an old man coming to the, you know, the Memorial Cemetery for the, you know, the soldiers. And, you know, he's got his family walking behind. Uh, very, very attractive family. Um, It makes sense that it was Matt Damon's uh, uh proge- proge- progeny. Uh, and he, but at the, in the moment, Spielberg's also trying to fool us into thinking it's Hank's, which is an interesting choice. I know some people think that's a cheat that he does by doing the dissolve to Hank's. But um, he walks up, you know, he's like, gets upset. Do you think, obviously we can circle back to it when it happens in the end. Do you think it should have just started dropping us into to the ships rolling into Normandy? Or do you think that keeping the context of it makes sense? Because also this movie's coming out, or, you know, clearly a lot of World War II movies are coming out because it was like a 50th anniversary kind of thing. So that's def- it was definitely on everyone's mind kind of thing.
0: I think there's pros and cons. And you see uh this happened again in schindler's list which i guess preceded this movie where spielberg does the the post scene uh with liam neeson and all that uh i don't think it's necessary i thought that the the very end could have been dropped for sure where he's he's struggling asking his wife if he led a decent enough life and things of that nature um i think the purpose of the framing
1: device is just so that there can be resonance to well, yeah, yeah. hanks's final words right
0: right and you know yeah I, this is my opinion i'm not saying no, that's that, what i'm saying so i'm saying do you think it's
1: do you think it works without it do you think that hanks is like what he says earn this yeah so I think like, that if yeah. you
0: don't uh, i think that if you don't understand that he has to earn it after watching these guys die then you're kind of an idiot, and you don't really need the whole "Did I live a good life?" thing at the end. I
1: that's think, my thoughts. No, it's well, fine. I I think I can be a good. Okay, go ahead, Brian. I'll, I'll yeah.
2: I th- I mean, going back to kind of what Brady said at the beginning of this podcast, I feel like Spielberg, it he is a populist director. These movies they make a lot of money, puts a lot of people in seats. There is a dark undertone. I think if we don't have that scene, it's a little too dark because so many people die throughout this movie to save this guy. And I think at least what you see from this is after this war, he was able to get on his feet. He was able to raise a beautiful family, and like you, you kind of end with a positive note after pretty harsh. Just the amount of deaths that you have to kind of watch. So I I like it. I I think it works. Um, I think the way that they they write it, where hank says earn it i like that i think that if they didn't have that and we just saw an old guy and like i just feel like maybe it wouldn't work but i feel like that um line was heavy enough for me to like buy into and and, then i guess appreciate the
0: the final scene there well let me ask you this um because all right you guys are obviously pro the frame no no
1: that's what i'm saying i'm not i'm not necessarily that's why i was
0: yeah does it work does it work better if he's not with his wife and he's with Ed Burns' character.
1: <laughs> in an <in, in> Eddie. <laughs> what, what's are weird about that? They're like the only You're two. Are you serious him and Ed Burns yeah. are just boys, just I like years present. down the line?
0: I mean, they lived through a lot of shit together. Who says they're not going to be friends?
1: Yeah. I, I think they hung out for a few days and then maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah. or not, didn't see each other again. Um what, so, are, uh, you, are you
0: saying that Matt Damon was a a Brooklyn uh Dodgers fan and that <laughs> kind of pissed
1: off? <laughs> I, I think I think it's the family. I think it has to be the family. I think that makes sense because he you have to show that he now the question is, like Hanks is putting a lot on this guy's shoulders by telling him to do that. I feel like I almost I don't know if it was the performance or like the heavy handed. It's very heavy handed, clearly. And that's like intentional because yeah. that people do complain about Spielberg is that he like, you know, he's talking to the back of the seats. Every he wants to make sure everybody understands it. But I feel like in the beginning, it's interesting. Maybe I feel like I should have had a little bit more of a gut punch. Like there should have. I don't know if it was the performances because like his wife is like, "What? why are you asking that? Blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, like you wonder, like Hanks has that one line where he's like, "How will I tell my wife these stories?" Has he told his wife these stories? Do we? It's almost like, do I need more time with this guy or less time with him? Like, make maybe maybe make it quicker. That's the kind of questions. Like, it didn't ultimately like it doesn't blow me out
0: of the water. And this, is, the my, show this is my this my final like, thing about that is why I said maybe he comes back with a a friend instead of his family because. A lot, I don't think a lot of people did talk about this stuff with their wives or their kids, so that I think
1: that like shows, and I think that maybe shows the interiority of it. Like he collapses, and like the, then you have like everyone show like you know huddles around him, and Spielberg, you know, he's like frames the shot, so it's like an impeccable shot or whatever. But I feel like yeah, there's something slightly off about, I, in concept. I don't hate it. I think it works in some ways. It, it like it gets me seventy five percent of the way. So yeah. I, I, I wonder if it is better. If it's just it's so bleak without it, yeah. That you do wonder it's which is strange because everyone's like, I know, like one of the impetuses from the movie is that we've only seen sanitized versions of war, etc. That's like a lot of the vets are like, show it the way it is. And in doing so, it just shows you like even the most justified word, which you know, commonly people refer to World War II as that war, like it's just so dehumanizing to be in war that these guys don't have like profound, you know, happy memories you know, like, like the, the Vietnam movies, they're like the, like one of the big elements of it is it was a purpose. Like, you know, like they're, they they did not really feel a purpose of it when they came home and, you know, and people disrespected them when they came home, these guys came home as heroes and they still were, people weren't able to talk about it, you know, like it, it but so. After that, they drop us feet first into uh the the, the store, just d-day basically i guess we, we uh they they have they have the the ships coming in and they do, i think they do great where they the kids are throwing up they're so young uh you see hanks has got the tremors and they're just like just move you got to get to the beach and i think they also made a conscious decision to make it the second wave to show that there's already dead bodies piled everywhere the ocean is just full of blood and the way and the way this is shot it's so visceral it's so intense i think it still hasn't been topped you know because people say this is like this changed the way war was shot um and even action was shot like in movies like the way it was so graphic but like the way it goes slow motion you, you know it's all like handheld cameras and just like you'll have like the most insane intense thing and then you get caught in the moment and i feel like that's the way maybe these people experienced it where you're like so much is happening you can't take it in and then you lock in on something like a guy picking up his own arm like it's absolutely harrowing you just can't believe that these men were able to do such a thing because like it doesn't even make sense like how are you able like did you because every time they cut to the germans perspective with their machine guns just mowing guys down just with ease you know like i don't know do you guys have any thoughts on this but uh,
2: i mean i don't it's hard man i the, it's a hard thing to talk about i obviously have so much respect for the the vets that that went through that it it's it's a different kind of feeling when you watch it like a war movie like it, it creates a, a feeling that you don't get from anything else in terms of watching movies like horror films like in terms of like a visceral reaction like this, this is i mean it's it's awful to watch um it, it's like almost hard to like discuss in a way but Mm i i do feel feel sick you like you almost
1: feel sick watching it yeah
2: yeah i do feel like i mean (laughs) i don't know how to put it but like i do feel like again and i touched on this a second ago all these small little moments you see the way that it's shot is just i would say like masterfully done by spielberg i mean there's like it's like a 20 minute 25 minute scene maybe And there are so many little details that happen that you're like, that you remember after that scene, you're just like, Oh my goodness. Like I just saw so much happen in front of me. That was absolute chaos. And I feel like, you know, every so once in a while for me, I see a movie and I, well, I see a scene and I say to myself, how the hell did they shoot that? And this is one of those situations. And there's probably only like 10, 15 movies or times in my life where I've said that, but this one is probably like up there as number one on the list where I'm just like, how the hell did they do this? Like, I I don't understand. Like, and I think
1: like the 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 genius of it is you have that opening just complete mayhem, right? Where there's like you can't think. You're just literally Hanks you just telling everyone's like, "Where are the orders?" He's just like, move forward, move forward. They keep on moving forward, and then eventually it focuses in, and they actually start like he starts like taking control. He's like, "We have to do this, take that, like like run across." And he like, starts like giving out orders, and then the movie locks into like. Now they're, they're not just like reacting, they're like taking orders and stuff. And I feel like that, cause I, cause while you're watching, you're like, how did they, how did they pull it off? Like, how did they do it? And it was guys that were like able to focus back in, able to like keep their heads about themselves after going through just it's a, a lot of it's luck, right? Like that you get, get out, get off the boat to make it to the beach.
0: Well, that, like- that was the weird thing to me was all of a sudden hanks does lock in something snaps and he says Ribin jackson let's get in the war and yeah then because like when
1: like i think one of the like the even like visually like one of the shots that sits with me like along with the picking up the arm is when those guys these are saying go over the edge of the boat and you see the guys getting dragged held down in the water by all their equipment and they're trying to take it off and then they would take it off and then bullets go through them underwater and like that's it's just so harrowing and you know that they're you after you do all that, you're soaking wet, you move up the beach, and then you actually have to get into a firefight. And then like the, you know, they're burning, they got the flamethrowers like blowing out the bunkers, the let like the level of like chaos and mayhem. And throughout all this, Spielberg is not sanitizing. He's making a point to show Germans, you know, surrender and then people shoot them, which is clearly a calculated decision on his part, because he's showing that like even the most justified of wars. War like Ward is gonna bring out the worst and you know air quotes best of anybody. You there's no like there's no like clear cut angles, which I think people would expect if they're just talking about like Spielberg, the great populist filmmaker. You know what I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah. I feel like one thing to shout out with this scene that I you know I I I think we all take for granted like sound mixing in movies. Like I've only <laughs> left a movie a few times where I'm like, man, they the music was too loud. Actually, Hans Zimmerman the goat but interstellar is like an example where i'm like best one of the best movie soundtracks ever but like there are times interstellar like i can't understand what anybody's saying because the music is so prominent but the sound mixing in this movie is or not it's just so good and like when they're the d-day scene when they're storming the beach like it sounds muffled the whole time but you're not like covering your ears like it's not like extremely loud and then like you can actually hear the conversations, but it's in a believable way, I would say. Cause like, it is, I don't know, it's chaos, but it's like chaos done very well. And it feels in a way like realistic, at least the sound does. Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. shout out to John Williams, Spielberg's guy, maybe my favorite composer, it's between him and Ennio Morricone. Um, but I think, yeah, we do, they do a great job. They, they the, that scene happens and you're just like, you feel like you just went on like like a, a, a half marathon physically and like emotionally drained. And then they're like, hanks goes up to get the next mission and he's like they're like we got a new one for you oh well they also do like they do the whole montage of the home front finding out like private ryan like all the ryan's have died
0: right and, and i think this that was great... really i think this was really smart how they did it they showed the carnage yeah. very brutally for 25 but like even like the the people
1: delivering the news to the mother like yeah, that no, shot no. so there's no dialogue but you get it
0: yeah. And that goes straight into Cranston being, you know, finding out that there's been three Ryan brothers who died and in giving the direct orders, there's one James Francis Ryan out there. You guys need to go find him. So I thought that that was a really smart a uh, way to do that. Show that carnage extremely fast furious and then they use the
1: abraham lincoln letter to just as a shorthand like this yeah. is why we should do it because <laughs> they have an abraham lincoln letter and you're like but even like when you hear it because they have the one they they, they oh, he always makes a point to have somebody in the room saying men will die for this mission and, and the, the, the other big thing is they don't even know if he's alive because he was you know he's a paratrooper they they, est- they already have established that none of the paratroopers landed where they're supposed to land so they don't know where anybody is they have no way to know and they like but the guy like reads the same for him, like, letter that he has on the ready whenever he needs to, <laughs> just in case this scenario happened he's like <laughs> check this out so then they um from there he's like pick your squad so this is where we kind of like meet the guys he brings uh jeremy davies uh is the guy who's like never been in combat he's kind of like the audience surrogate where they're like, here's the crew. Here's the new guy. He wants to like write a, a book about you know everybody, but no one wants to talk to him. The Raz and the new guy, and obviously everybody's really upset about this mission, especially Ed Burns. Yeah, <laughs> which I respect because Ed because he's making a good point. He's like, we all have mothers. And they're like, yeah, but uh, but then like they do that great Tom Hanks bit where you realize like he's definitely the guy. But he's like, I gripe to, you gripe to me, I gripe, uh, I gripe upwards. And then they're like, well, what would you, how would you gripe? And he's like, I would say this is a great mission that's going to like, f- like further the cause, blah, blah, blah. So it has that like sense of humor about it. You instantly like everybody in the crew. um, And then they get to like, I, I call this like rain city where it's just pouring rain <laughs> everywhere and like blown out buildings just blown away that they clearly have like these massive sets that they would never do nowadays when they're making a movie. And you just can, you just can tell nowadays they would animate it, but it wouldn't look as good. Um, Completely overcast that Kaminsky thing, which, you know, him and Spielberg work together, you know, I think it's still his guy and has that same look nowadays. Um, But Vin Diesel, he gets popped because they, they see these, uh, these French people and they hand the little girl down. He says, oh, Captain, she reminds me of my niece. And the sniper takes him down. And this is when we learned that Barry Pepper is the greatest marksman in the history of the earth. (laughs) And because he he has that great line where he's like, there's a sniper. And he's like, where is he? He's like, he's in that bell tower because that's where I'd be. (laughs) He goes there. He drops a a prayer, kisses his uh, crucifix. And uh, he goes up and he just takes that guy out. Mm -hmm. But you... Also make a point to have Vin Diesel slowly and painfully die while he's like talking to his friends who want to save him but they can't because there's a sniper.
2: Yeah. The way that they shot that scene where you have the POV of the the German soldier shooting from the tower and then you get essentially like you get shot in that POV scene is pretty wild.
1: Oh, and we also uh we got to give a shout out to um Paul Giamatti he's the guy he's the, he's our first like sur- real real big surprise cameo <laughs> you're yeah. like wait is that is that who I think it is Paul Giamatti yeah. <laughs> um and, but then this also leads to that incredible moment so he dies and but the whole point that Hanks this basically establishes for Hanks where Hanks told him to take the kids and he's like this is the decent thing to do and as the audience shook like, yeah you should help these kids and then Vin Diesel gets killed and Hanks says that's why you don't save kids, and you realize that every decision he has to make weighs on him, and he knows that. Like he says it later, for every nine of my men that die, I have to tell myself I've saved a hundred or a thousand. So that's when you realize, like, that's why he has the tremors. He's, he's all this is weighing on him. He he gives a stoic front to his men, but he's wrestling with these things in his head at all times. So from there they do that great moment where paul Gimatti sits on a log and it just knocks over a wall and behind it is just like 20 nazis and they have the greatest standoff where they're all yelling at each other and then we have the hero of the movie ted danson yep. shows up with a machine gun and just takes them all out instantly <laughs> and you're just like what
2: and well, I think he's got a crew with him right he, he's got a
1: crew he's got a crew but i feel like it was just they should honestly would have worked that. if it was just ted Danson just coming off but he's like is cheers still going at this point yeah i think cheers had probably just wrapped up it's probably in its last season 98
0: yeah no it's definitely not still going but i it's it's close
1: he's looking but for his next move yeah to
0: my uh pacino switcheroo here the uh this is a great moment where it's just d- dancing and uh thanks walking on this little bridge or whatever, talking to each other and they're like finishing each other's sentences. I really enjoyed that.
1: It was yeah. good. Rat-a-tat dialogue.
0: This is, I, te- I was watching this movie and I texted you
2: guys. I was like, the casting is just insane. And like, I forgot, I hadn't seen this movie in probably, I don't know, seven, eight years. And when I saw Ted dancing, that's probably the one that it was like, just blew my mind the most
1: <laughs> by far because even like Cranston showing up, we didn't even like even give, give him the, uh, yeah, like, he's just randomly there.
2: <laughs> I have to say something just off topic really quickly. Um, so the, there was this picture, like probably like three years ago, Ted Danson went to this like climate change protest and he, he got arrested at it. And the pictures of him getting arrested are the funniest that I think it's the funniest pictures ever taken in the history of the world. Like, He's like smiling and handcuffs, and he's like cracking up with like these cops like all around him, and he's like towering over them. I gotta like, I wish that the the listeners could hear this, but I'll send it to you guys. <laughs> exactly. It's one of the funniest. We things will I've ever post
0: heard. we'll post these to our Twitter page at goats Pod Twitter and the Movie Goats Pod Instagram. So be sure to check them out. And Then um, we go to the the dog tag scene is next, right? Where we that's see where we another- got well, another cameo gary bertier yeah gary bertier
1: <laughs> they're they're bringing up the heavy hitters and they have like because they have that great line too where this is where foobar's introduced right or have they already they introduced it earlier introduced this is where like everybody in the cast gets to do a line delivery on Fubar. Fubar. <laughs> yeah.
0: well i was gonna say is like you see the inhumanity of war and the humanity of war a couple different times here, and the fact that the guys in Hank's crew are just joking about the dog tags while like the 101st Airborne's walking by, that was like gut wrenching. Yeah. Really just like
1: Gio, you know, Giovanni Giovanni sees it from afar and is just like, and he's like, "What are you doing?" And even Hank's, because that the fact that Hank's gets a, into a it too, I think that's a genius move, and maybe a another actor who had too much of an ego might like not want to show that flaw in his character. But like that gallows humor, you hear that a lot of guys that go to the war. like you need the gallows humor to get by.
0: There was two instances during that scene that really struck me it was one. There was a, a blood covered one where Barry pepper spit on it and, and uh, rubbed it off, which he had to rub it off to read the name but still you're spitting on someone's dog tag that might as well be spitting on their gravestone i i think kind of Mm. and then the other one that was kind of had a bullet hole through it and ed burns is like oh look at this poor bastard like i don't know man that was shit. was the non-combat stuff in this movie was just as hard to watch as 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 some of the really vicious fight scenes Mm
1: -hmm. and then they use this as a great moment to do that to kind of highlight the 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 futility almost of their mission is when the guy is talking about the reason their plane crashed is because they had put in all this extra you know protection for a general or something and they're like all that for one man and then ed burns has that great line like yeah that's been going around a lot lately yeah and and you're like but again it's a war war, like this makes sense in like a vietnam movie but it's like a world war ii movie but they're still showing the like war is not a good thing in general like as a as a principle is inherently a bad thing
0: like, and so we had the 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 talk about uh Barry Pepper and his accent, and I was like, you kind of need one slower guy that maybe from the south or whatever. You really get that with the Gary bertier character, and I know that he's he's deaf or whatever, but they're writing down everything, and he's just like, oh yeah, of course I know private ride. Uh, <laughs> like oh oh yeah, of course, blah blah blah. He's just saying that all the time. That that was like a little moment where I was like, there's some brevity here. I will say this. You guys
1: brought up Gary Bertier with confidence. I would not have been able to pull that name off the top of my head. And I only recognize him from, uh, obviously, um, Remember Titans.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He's Bertier in in, uh, Remember the Titans, obviously. Yeah, I have no
0: idea what the actor's name is.
2: Yeah. Well, when I see him, I've never actually watched Sons of Anarchy, but I know he's in it. Like
0: I was thinking,
1: you were talking about the guy who crashed the plane this whole time. (laughs) When he's like, it nearly broke both my arms, (laughs) and I was like, "Oh, you're talking about the James Ryan." It's a it's a great comic bit.
2: (laughs) 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 Okay, okay. Well, I gotta say something. This is where Spielberg. I think. Like I wouldn't call it a comic bit because the reality is he just got like a grenade blasted by his ear and the guy's like deaf. So like,
1: well, he's playing it for humor. No, Spielberg. I think the genius of Spielberg is he always finds a way to inject humor into it. He can't make a straight comedy, as shown in his movie 1941, another World War II movie that yeah. doesn't work. I had when I watched it, I really thought I was gonna love it because like it had such a great cast. But like when he yeah. does humor, like in Indiana Jones or something, it always plays.
0: No, yeah. but Brian, go ahead. Go ahead with your thought.
2: I was just saying, like it's funny, but. I guess I like you feel bad laughing at it because this happened to people like they went deaf from grenade blasting yeah. right near their ears. So like you feel kind of terrible about, about the subject matter, even if like the way that it is shot maybe wasn't to be humorous. And I, I guess it,
0: it kind of was. Humorous. So here's my, here's my thinking on that. And I appreciate what you're saying, Brian is. We've seen so much carnage that. a guy going death is like the least of our worries at this moment and just because of the fact that he's in this for 30 seconds but he is so poignant in uh remember the titans and he's doing the exact same voice where he's like strong side left (laughs) side strong (laughs) side he's doing that same thing that like i don't even know if spielberg meant it to be funny but i find it funny because i'm like Gary Bertier aka Ben Bulwer aka Jem Skalowski just like came out here and <laughs> like inserted himself into this movie. Yeah. I
1: also like I, I like to be optimistic. He says it comes and goes. So I assume eventually it's <laughs>
0: Yeah.
2: That's, that's what I, I I
1: literally I made that calculation in my mind. I'm like, "Oh, he's fine. He'll he'll he'll, he'll get there."
2: Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. So we move um, into the the machine gun. Yeah, the satellite t- tower that's like yeah what do
1: you guys think do you think that hanks is correct in saying i mean obviously his take is if we don't do this they'll ambush somebody else i I feel like it's not really an ambush spot because it's pretty prominent where they are but but he says they'll 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 kill other u.s troops it's our job to take it out and the whole crew is like i have a bad feeling about this yeah i you can see both sides but it's like you get I, like what he's saying, like, you, you know, you're looking out for other, you're saving other troops lives, but should your own men be your priority?
2: Yes. Yeah. Versus... yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tough one. And I think the one thing that I wish and, and this was intentional, right. But like for me watching this movie, I was like, I wish I had a little more assurance that Hanks was making the right decision. Because in my mind, when I'm sitting there watching, I'm like, there could be a hundred dudes, there like they didn't really get a full scout of it they were like in the creek hiding beneath it and they're like i think there's two machine guns up there or something but like there could have been a ton of soldiers up there and they didn't know it you know so like i wish we got like i don't know some kind of like assurance that it wasn't that much of a suicide mission i guess
1: but i think that's kind of like what spielberg's what it going makes it for exciting that's what yeah, makes it no, i don't even know if it makes it exciting i think he's choosing that like there's no correct answers He's get, he's position them where they, they he has the information he has you can see both sides of it why why don't we just walk around this and then he's like well for if we're trying our, our orders are to win the war that's what that's his justification for it and i think that there's no clean decisions in war like this you have you're just a series of difficult decisions and yeah. you just happen to choose one where so yeah. one of their men dies
0: you know we have that moment where burns has the standoff um with size more And it's diffused by the English teacher speech. And at the time, Hank says, every man I kill takes me farther away from home. So he's having this internal dilemma of doing his duty to help the next person that comes along and losing himself at the same time as long as the war goes on. Is he,
1: has he already had the conversation with uh size more like, yeah, yeah. like, like about the, if I, okay. Yeah. So I think that's, he, you have to tell yourself because it's like, how will you live? Almost like knowing yeah. that, like he, he says he has 96 people have died under his command or something. Yeah. Is it something like that? Like, that's like, how do you process? And when he does that drop, like you're saying where he's like, I'm i I'm a school teacher. I teach English composition. I coach baseball and where I'm from, People aren't surprised when I say that it makes sense. But here it doesn't make sense because like maybe I've changed and all that stuff. And I think like that's just that profound thing where like he has to put on a front for his men. But you realize like because in because you also have in this scene, you have him walk off and just weep because like the weight of it is finally crashed upon it. And I think that's one of the Tom Hanks better moments in the whole movie is just like letting him just get overwhelmed, but he can't let them show that because if they, sh- if they see him break like that, then they, that will scare them even more. Cause they don't, they have to have faith in the man leading them. And then props to size more, just coming out, just like bringing it when he brings up, because the- you're almost like yeah, it's trees. what is it? Would It be like, a- he's going wall as a treason to like lead- to roll out like that. <laughs> and, uh, and the is like, no, we're not letting it happen. Everyone's like, just let him walk off. And Sizemore's like, I'm going to kill you because I don't like you, which is just another great line. It's so good.
2: So I do want to get into Giovanni Ribisi. So um, what's, I don't even remember what his, the character's name is, but he's the one who passes away. He gets shot during this ambush. And prior to this, the, the scene the night before they spend the night in the church, he has this moment where he's talking about his mom coming home late from the night shift and sometimes she would come home early and she'd be at the door and he would still be awake so he could talk to her but he just slept and to me this scene was kind of like the regrets that maybe soldiers have when they're in war and they realize that death could come any day and the things that they didn't do or the relationships they were unable to kind of keep and i like i like the message but I do feel like in Rabisi kills the scene. It's almost out of nowhere. It's like you it's see your him hair It that zooms in on his face. It's like the scene was almost like built for him to do this. And I I thought it was good, but I was
0: also like, did we need it? I, yeah. I, I, so I agree. There was um, there were brief moments. I think of like intense medical wounds and gore and everything like that in the, in the, in a couple of the other scenes. This one. There's it's very elongated shots of of him bleeding out and Hanks being like, "Give him morphine, give him morphine, give him morphine," and and these guys just watching. Wade is his name. Wade, uh, go down, and it was really, to me, honestly, one of the most disturbing parts of the movie, or one of the most unnerving. Just because it's one guy and it's all these people, instead of focusing on an enemy, they're focusing on their brother that's going to die. He knows he's going to die, but they keep telling him you're going to be all right. And it was just so, so tough to watch.
1: Well, I think I think it was an essential scene. And I also, this is another, another great Spielberg moment where they the scene begins where we take it. It's all from Jeremy Davies' perspective. He's in the rear because he's just a translator, and you see, basically, you miss, you know, you see from afar everything happening, and then once he gets there, they have that, because he's, Rubisi's been, like, the conscience of the of the group, right? He's the one that calls him out on the dog tags, he's the one always taking care of them, he's the nurturer, because he is the medic, like, inherently, and the fact that he gets killed, and it's, like, very slow and he has a moment of realization where he knows he's going to die and they're like how can we help you how can we help you and then he says, give me more morphine so he's accepting his death he's also and they have multiple moments where people dying call out for their mother which is clearly something that happens in war um and i felt like the fact that it went slow it also sets up because we have to see him die in a like a horrible way because they have that captured german soldier and then they have that moral dilemma Uh, yeah, and I think sure. the, re- the reason he lets him go is because R- Rubisi was the moral compass for them.
0: Yeah, he's like, I was more
2: referring, not necessarily to Rubisi dying. I was I was more so referring to the conversation in the church where he talks about his mother. Yeah, I, I, I,
1: like, I, I think my problems with the movie in general are some of those character moments where i feel like they drag it out a little too long
2: um that that was what i mean i was like i don't know if i needed that okay yeah Yeah. because i was going to say i I thought this
1: moment was essential (laughs) um but i get what you're saying yeah i think that the church stuff i found myself zoning out a little bit and because the movie is so long and it's like so intense and then it really tones itself down for extended periods and i feel like the flow is a little it could have been tightened just slightly more
2: That scene, though, when he's crying about not having a relationship with his mother, like in the church, it felt like a scene from Full Metal Jacket. It was like they zoom in on his face slowly and you like see this emotion and him crying. And it just it felt like it was from a different movie almost. But I'm not you know, I'm not this is Spielberg. I'm not (laughs) I'm really not critiquing. It was well done. I was just saying, I don't know if we needed it because I would have had the same reaction to him dying without that.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll be honest. I think I'm. I like went to the bathroom during that moment because I don't even remember it. And, it <laughs> and, the, and the scene was totally knocked me out when he died. <laughs> I, was,
2: I was so excited to get your take on that scene, and then I think the
1: oh, one- I was I eating think- lunch because oh, it, 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 it was like a three hour movie. This is what, you know, I will Credit to Spielberg. I planned on watching this at night. And I just put it on um, because I thought I was going to watch like the opening scene just to like get my mind right, and then I was going to go to the gym and then come back and watch it. Locked me, in, and I watched the whole movie in one sitting. Like that's the power of Spielberg. I think. i think
0: that the 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 church scene just going back to it the powerful stuff is between hanks and uh, yes it's it's more
1: i think that's Uh, the problem is like the hanks stuff is so powerful that you didn't necessarily because it is an ensemble cast so you can't really get everybody can't have that moment and his death is so powerful that it almost didn't need it like ribisi wise um but then they have that ultimate like that moral again there's no correct decision they can't bring this guy on their mission just german just like bring him across the countryside that's not gonna that's not feasible. But they don't want to execute him, which would be a war crime, right?
0: Um, well, they do. They do want to execute well, him. Well,
1: Hanks doesn't want to execute him ultimately, and okay. neither does Jeremy Davies. <laughs> we've,
2: already, we've already seen this, though, that there have been a couple yes. that have already happened. And I think, again, like there are war movies that, as you've said before, that have been sanitized. That to me is a situation where it's like this is kind of a. Movie about patriotism. I'm not going to say it's like a patriotic movie, but it's definitely about patriotism. But it also Mm -hmm. shows you kind of the dark underbelly where stuff like this probably happened, where these guys are trying to surrender and they still get shot. And in this case, in this movie, it was on purpose. Yeah.
1: I think it's just like, it's, and you get it because I think the reason, one of the reasons he's having that collapse, Hanks, is like he's so upset about what happened to Rubisi. He blames himself, obviously. And then I think because Rubisi was that moral compass, he decides we're gonna let this guy blindfold him and tell him to turn him himself in, which is crazy. <laughs> like obviously he's not gonna turn himself in, but like I get what he was doing. He's like, we can't take this guy with him. I don't want to execute him. Maybe maybe I don't know if this is like kosher or not. Like shoot him in the leg, <laughs> just incapacitate <laughs> him for the moment, and just kind of like roll out. Like maybe that's the move. I don't know. But there's no there's no correct answer, right? Yeah. And then ultimately, I think the genius of Spielberg again too. And we got to give credit to the, to the screenwriter, obviously. Um, It's yeah, it's not he's not writing the script. But I would like, have said
0: like, time to a tree. Yeah, maybe that that's worse
1: death
2: that, than anything though, because you're dying <laughs> of starvation and like. I think
0: has, that makes more sense though, because I don't you know. There's move, there's people moving around. back and forth a lot. You yelling enough, someone will find
1: you. He'll yeah, he'll untie himself. Maybe there's a better way to go about it. I mean, either way, that's still leaves the opportunity that he could be found, right? Like by his, by his own people. Um, but it's just, I think it just, it hits home because ultimately that's the guy who kills Tom Hanks. And so like Spielberg even shows that like, he think you like morally, he makes the on paper correct decision. And he's, cause he says later, if we don't take this back, they can ambush somebody else. And then he like uses reverse logic, lets that guy go. And because of that, he did the right thing and he gets killed because war is just there's no there's no like sense in war right there's no like logic it's like things are just going to happen not necessarily because they're good or bad they just happen right
2: i i almost wish that didn't happen
1: it's almost two-pointed At that yeah. i think that's where it becomes like the vietnam movie where it's like it makes the point to do that
2: yeah i, I kind of wish he didn't come back i wish that was a you know you saw him go off maybe he
0: it's a but, little heavy-handed it's a yeah. little heavy-handed yeah yeah that's that was my only issue is a little heavy-handed um, and then we get to ramel where matt damon pops up like very a, quickly
1: <laughs> very quickly we were like next thing there's a tank there's a dope-ass tank takeover like what <laughs> is it
0: called whack-a-mole matt damon just pops up from the ground like a whack-a-mole that was sick like the
1: the way they took that tank out so easily like uh, that was nuts like the trouble they had with tanks later in the movie they have no problems taking down this tank and they yeah
0: i just but then again
1: he does that great framing where spielberg does because they say that spielberg just shows up to set and he just instantly like within two seconds he just sees what they have like everything they have and he's like all right he doesn't necessarily need a storyboard he's like here's what we do and they had that great moment where They introduce themselves and you see Matt Damon in the corner of the frame. They don't focus on him. Then they go through the name, like three guys. Damon's the second guy. The third guy says his name. Then the camera pivots back to Damon. And you're like, and also credit to us for being like the movie and not mentioning Damon until this moment. (laughs) <laughs> like, this, this is the first time he's come up in the pod
0: <laughs> well no um, that's not true i said that if ed burns would have been played if his character would have been played by Athlete, we would have had a sick matt and ben collab again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> fair enough fair enough
0: um but i
1: think what do you guys think about that so apparently he cast him based on like he vi- like spielberg visits the set of goodwill hunting uh robin williams is like you got to meet this kid and he's not a big name, and then by the time the movie comes out, he's the guy. He's on the poster next to Tom Hanks. Um, but I also feel like it kind of plays because he's a star. Like he wasn't going for a name, but it kind of works because he has that charisma about him. What do you think? Are you not? Are you not pro no. naming
0: No. So I, I think that this definitely plays because of that. Because his his mm-hmm. star came almost overnight. Um, not took over.
2: Not. i like vividly remember 97 and 98 it was like damon was was the guy it was yeah. like like he he shot up like a star after goodwill hunting
0: i mean Maybe this I was, was like, the same year as rounders yeah and but goodwill hunting
2: is 97 and then this movie's 98 so spielberg i guess meets this guy and then he's like well yeah i'll use him and, and then I've his talented
1: him. mr ripley the next year
0: I they, yeah that's 99 but um
2: yeah like weirdly
1: works really well because he because they also had that earlier scene where somebody um they, they tell the wrong they, they find the wrong private ryan and he's like they had that great moment the comic moment where he's like how did my like your brother's down in combat and he's like they're in like grade school <laughs> and then he's like and that guy like they make him look you know he's he's hyper emotional which i think is a very fair reaction <laughs> to, to, to receiving that news um, and they're all like rolling their eyes and dancing's like patting him on the shoulder but this one, like the way Damon, Damon really does that great performance where you can see he gets the information, he sits with it, and it definitely takes a little bit for it to kind of like really resonate with him. He's like, They and, it, and it's always great when they, they say which ones, and then he's like, and they're like all of them. And then but then he has that great moment where you believe because he's a star, you believe him when he says, I'm not abandoning my guys. Where we gotta, we gotta hold this bridge. It's like there's only two bridges left.
2: I loved how Damon asked the names of the guys who died on the way to find him. I thought that that was like, a uh, touch. yeah, because they, they had to create something to get the crew to get on board with staying and defending the bridge a little bit more. And I feel like it showed that like the first kid where they that that was the. Um, who the they thought was, Yeah, the false flag. They all were like, look at this clown. Like they were not They were like I can't believe we were risking our lives for them. There's never that moment with Damon. It was like, when they got there, they were pretty much on board, even Brooklyn.
1: Like eventually yeah. he comes around on him. Right. Cause they right. have like, this is again, another, uh, then another small, like small slide against this movie is I feel like they, 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 again, they go for the character moments where we're waiting for the bridge. And I feel like it takes, it takes a minute and it kind of slows it down. And we're getting to a great sequence. Cause I feel like the taking of the bridge and them coming up with the plan once that gets like the sticky bombs, all that stuff, that's, that's exciting stuff you know and anytime you have an impossible, impossible mission you're you're like i'm all in right it
0: like, would have been no yeah it would have been really easy for damon to be like all right great i'm out you know like yeah i did i did what i needed to do you guys found me i'm out the fact that he you know gives that speech and says my brothers are here these are my brothers on the line and it really did for a minute piss off the Hanks crew, and then you know, the, eventually they they came around. Well, that's why
1: the great line was really Sizemore. well done. This is the Sizemore moment where, right, where he's like, maybe this is the one decent thing we do, and you're kind of like, and even the audience becomes who has not been on board with this mission the entire movie. We become convinced maybe there is something good. <laughs> There's something to this mission that I that that I'm buying in on because yeah, exactly. I think you like Damon because Damon makes you realize that he's like a worthy even though ultimately this is like a PR mission, you, you know, <laughs> like, no, what I think works about what, what works the most is like for me and that my, because again, what I was saying before is I feel like the scenes drag a little bit because they go for these characters and I know what they're, they're going for they're trying to get us to relate to these characters, but then they have like great little moments where Ryan has, the, he says he can't pictures his brother's face and then at the end, he has that moment where he realizes that was the last time we were all together, kind of the thing that you don't realize until you realize it. And then Hanks has his moment where he's like, she, he wants him to share his story. He's like, oh, tell me about like the flowers and your wife. And then Hanks says, no, that's just for me. And then knowing that Hanks is going to die later and that story stays with him. I feel like that kind of like it's so what that's like a moment that really hits more on the rewatch. Yeah. Um. And I, but, but like once we get into the actual I love like they have like this, this bozo motorcycle tank that i've never seen before that i don't know like what the purpose that would even make sense what does it
0: do (laughs) the last the last last thing that really got me on the rewatch was the fact that fish tells up ham you got to be johnny on the spot with the ammo you got to be johnny on the spot with the ammo and up ham's like yeah of course i will be obviously yeah yeah,
2: he's running around it's hard to it's so chaotic that you're not really understanding he's running around with the ammo but it doesn't seem like he ever really contributes like I think I, that's maybe that,
1: because he's just, like, freaking out. He's just, like, run, he's literally, like, talk yeah. about a rabbit. Like, that the, the rabbit's supposed to be, like, the, the tank. It's this guy running around with, like, his, the, all these bullets. There was running.
0: a moment when Hanks was like, Jackson's okay. Go to fish. Go to
1: fish. Yeah, like, that's true. But I like that, also, They their plan is to draw the Panzers down this, this like, this one spot, and then they'll be able to block the road, and the, the, they, they don't take the bait which is always great whenever the whenever they only have one way for this for this to work and then it instantly doesn't work but then you also have this great um you got Barry Pepper in the tower just doing some great like hand uh signaling like I love whenever you're in a military movie when guys are doing hand signals I love that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like it's the ultimate like fight flight controller he's he's giving he's like oh they're coming to the left they're coming on the right and Barry Pepper's just on fire he's got the guy next to him with like the thousand rounds and, like, this scene, I think it goes pretty long, too. It's, like, I feel like it's a really intense sequence. And in any other World War II movie, they would win. <laughs> like, that's why – I even when I know what's going to happen, I don't think that they're going to lose the way they do because it's, like, it's like oh, this is a movie that's, like, beloved. These guys are going to fight back the tanks and, like, you, you well, know, they, hold the bridge. But they, they do not. Do they get taken – no, they don't. They, they get taken down. And they get lucky. They get saved by the airplanes. The well, that's what I was going
0: to say. They, they yeah. get saved. No, they, but, like everybody don't... gets killed.
1: Yeah, like it's yeah. <laughs> it's brutal. It's, and especially, I mean, we touched on uh, Goldberg dying and just the way that Jeremy Davies, his the way he performs that where he's on the stairs and he's slowly walking up the stairs. And you're just yeah. so hoping for him to get there. And it just adds because you think he's going to save him because in every other World War II movie, he saves him. And that's the moment he becomes a hero. But no, that's just the moment where he transforms and the German just walks by him at the end down the stairs. And then later he executes that one German and you okay. have that weird complicated feeling. You don't have like a gung-ho feeling when he does that because you know that something in him is lost. His like so, innocence is now completely gone.
0: I want to ask you about that real quick. That is the German that killed Wade earlier.
1: And and, and he kills Hanks, yeah.
0: Well, and he kills Hanks and he kills Goldberg. And there was the hesitancy to go up the stairs. And then he almost had a recognition, like, you saved me, I save you. That was the same guy there? I didn't
1: realize that was the that's, same guy there. That's
0: the same guy. So, yeah, I didn't realize that was him, too. I just thought he killed. I didn't know he takes out the whole, the whole crew
1: and one then, by one.
0: <laughs> and then he has five POWs, five or six, one of them being that guy. And immediately, as soon as that guy asks for forgiveness again, he shoots do we think that, like, that guy actually would have spared him? Are we fine with him shooting him the second time? Like, what do you guys think about that? Because that was something that, like, really struck me.
1: Well, I think it's a morally complicated thing. Also, again, I think I have to give myself credit in the sense that I, uh, not give myself credit, justify myself that it's really hard to t- tell guys apart that have shaved heads. He had the shaved head, so I didn't realize he was the same guy yep. <laughs> three different times. But yeah, Brian, what do you think about it, about the action?
2: I don't know. I, I'm so conflicted. I, I think that um, that is one of the scenes of this movie that is, I talk about memorable scenes that to me always sticks with you. Like you think about that, the fight upstairs and then him on the stairwell. And then the guy letting him live is probably what I remember most. On um, Like from the last time I watched it and then it coming full circle and him being the train that makes
1: it even more now i feel like an idiot because it's so much more complicated that he did let jeremy davies live yeah individually and then because like uh, uh, otherwise i mean you still get like i mean the, the moment was still there for me because i still felt you they're like spielberg doesn't want you to feel i don't think he has like a way he necessarily wants you to feel it just feels like a mixed muddied emotion you know yeah. like you understand why jeremy davies does it but it's not like you're like it, it just feels it just there's something weird about it and i think spielberg is one of the few guys that can make a commercial film with that these kind of moments in it well I mean, this is the second
0: time that guy's begged for his life to these yeah. guys yeah that, yeah, yeah. But, i mean
1: it is i i don't think like I, I still don't think spielberg wants you to be like pumping the air yeah because <laughs> it's more of a, what it means to jeremy davies than it means to that guy
2: no i know yeah. I'm just talking about the character ultimately This movie is about the futility of war. Like that's, 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 Mm -hmm. there's so many situations where there's no wrong or or there's no right answer. Um, And I feel like what this movie does and like many great movies, it just creates conflict and you're conflicted watching it. You don't know what he should do. Should he kill him? He just spared his life, but he just killed uh, Tom Hanks. Like there's just so much conflict going on and this movie is just kind of saying like, there's no right or wrong answer in war. And that's ultimately the message. And I think that this really reinforces it when you see this happen. But one thing that you're watching the translator in this movie, and I wonder, like, what are your thoughts on this guy? Are you like, you're useless. Why were you on the stairs and you didn't help out? Or are you like, I would be scared like that too. Or like, what what are your feelings at the end of this movie on on this? My
0: thoughts on him are, completely relatable uh because I've never been in combat either and he says that he's never been in combat I think I would be terrified as well it's easy to be like I would be the man and run up there with my rifle and everything like that but I also think you know it's twofold he's there to do a job which is to translate German and French into English but at the same time you're also there to win the war it's it's really difficult to evaluate this person and how he did because in a way he signed up for this in a way he didn't i don't know yeah
1: i feel like yeah especially with the stair sequence you're just crawling out of your skin because you want so bad you love goldberg so much that you want him to get to the top of the stairs and have his hero moment and then when he doesn't get that moment it's like heartbreaking almost and then like even so when he executes that that guy you're not like like you have that mixed feeling where it's less you don't feel bad for the German that gets killed right there because you already he's killed all his people you feel bad for him that war has made has caused this innocent kind of guy to have to become this man were you shocked like
0: that's ultimately were you shocked the first time that he he shot the German? because I was
1: I think, like, when that moment comes, you almost feel like, yeah, you, you're wondering. I feel like it's inevitable at that point, like, once he see, because they make a point to, for him to see this happening, right? Like, he's, like, he's literally hiding, because, he's again, he's cowering, when, like, when he can't get across the bridge, so he's on the other side of the bridge. And then he finally gets that moment where he gets the courage to stand up and hold his gun up to these guys after the planes come through. And... I just think like the genius of the because now I'm I'm liking the moment now that we're talking about it I was a little mixed on that moment before now I feel like it's like the heart of the movie where this like harrowing moment happens you don't feel bad for the German but you don't necessarily think it's like a great moment for the guy either it's just sad for everybody it's that that's the kind of feeling you get
0: yeah and so then then I guess
1: we have like the moment where like Tom Hanks they have, they say, let's go back to the Alamo. They're all rushing back. more. he gets taken down and that's just. He gets you know, the wind get knocked out of him. him. Yeah, he gets the wind knocked out of him. <laughs> He's stumbling ahead and like, you just feels like you just don't. You, Cause you're, that's when you realize, oh, this is that kind of movie where everybody's going to die at the end. <laughs> that's like, you always have that moment where like, like normally like every other, like this is a, this is a Vietnam movie ending where like usually you have like the main character survive. But in this instance, they surprise you. Hank, because we believe Hank's is alive at the beginning of the movie. It's like a little, you know, it's a little like kind of trickery, but I think it, I think it works when I'm watching it. Cause when he dies and he's, I mean, he also has that moment where he's shooting the tank with a pistol and then this tank blows up. And that's kind of like that goofy kind of thing. And you're hoping that maybe he'll survive when like Ed Burns gets to him and he's like checking him out, his wounds. And when you realize he's not going to survive and he has that moment with Ryan and it just kind of like drives the whole thing home. And they've, I think Spielberg's done a great job of just showing you the individual stories that like every single person that was over there had these stories. It's just not like there wasn't one, there's not, this isn't a story of a bunch of like one man, like this isn't Rambo going over there and winning the war. It was the sacrifices that were made by a lot of young men, who didn't necessarily know what they're getting into right because this is like pre this isn't like vietnam where like it's on the news it's just just like people didn't talk about it you got over there i'm sure you were shocked and you were in impossible situations that nobody had even seen up until that point because that was this is a level of warfare a different kind of warfare than even world war one where people are still riding on horses and granted world war one has its own level of difficulties that that might well, be that, the worst one. i mean that's what i'm saying
0: <laughs> about there being a guy from the bronx and a guy from the south and a a guy from the midwest and a, a smooth talking guy and a, a hardo you know th- there are guys from all over everybody was in this yeah so basically we end with uh damon at normandy again uh but brady you want to hit us with your double feature
1: well no, yeah yeah i have a real question this is just a random like question. When, it, uh, as far as this framing goes, do you think it would have played better if they used Damon and old man makeup?
2: No, I don't because I I think this old man like strikingly looks just like Matt Damon. Right? I agree. Mean, it right? He could
1: be both Damon or Hanks.
2: Yeah, no, dude. It's like they found it. Like
0: Spielberg must have been like, oh my god, you found him. Like whoever casted <laughs> this guy, they killed it. He was literally the all-American man who had all the features. Yeah, definitely.
1: and it works that you've never seen him in anything else, so you have no no like ties to him as like a movie star or anything like that. I think that totally plays. That as far as the framing goes, I think that's a clever casting.
2: Yeah, There's not much yeah. of a, a fashion corner for this movie, but the the light blue jacket he's rocking is pretty nice. I do like it. All right, well, Brady,
0: hit me is with the, time for the
2: double feature. Yep.
0: Okay, so I
1: actually had a lot of difficulty. That's honestly we had a little late start because I I couldn't decide what to do with the double feature because there's so many different angles. You obviously have like I considered just like a throwback man on like men on a mission World War II movie like A Dirty Dozen or like there's a, there's a, a lot of The Guns of Navarone is really well known, but I love the sequel um, called The Force 10 from Navarone, which is directed by Guy Hamilton who directed Goldfinger and it stars a young Harrison Ford and it's. A really just a really fun just rollicking just like a bunch of guys doing a mission but but i feel like this conversation has put me in a new mind frame where i don't want to those are like fun movie like fun world war ii movies like the antithesis of this so i think the one that like is, that that's sitting with me through our conversation is uh the movie's called the best years of our lives and uh came out in 1946 and it was to show you also how like movie audiences are different it's basically a movie about guys coming home from world war ii and they have ptsd but it's not called ptsd back then you can't talk about it like their families don't understand um they have the they had a great casting of this uh actual veteran who uh lost his hands during the war so he has like these like claw prosthetics um and he could they gave him an uh, honorary oscar and a best supporting actor oscar in case he didn't win they wanted to have an oscar because he deserved one regardless and his performance is incredible um but it's like a three-hour movie just about like you know it's like the women in their lives who are trying to understand these men but they can't like you know talk about their emotions and it is like it's a movie it'll knock you out and when it came out it was i think the highest grossing movie since gone with the wind it was like a because like people didn't know how to talk about it. And then there's this Hollywood movie where they're just showing these things that like, I think it probably did a lot with furthering conversations that people were able to talk about it in a way that they maybe not wouldn't have been able to. And it's like, it's none of it is set during the war. It's all just that the home front, which is kind of like the antithesis of this movie. But I think it's a perfect companion piece where it shows like, this is what happened there. And this is what happens when you come home and have to just go back to your work in the bank and act like nothing's up.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll be that's sure- all the best years of our lives. Best years of our lives. We'll be sure to check that one out. I'm going to go ahead and start with the rankings. Then we're going to kick it to Brian Brady, close it out, and then toss it to me for what we got next. I'm going to give this one of the goats. Um, spill- Actually, can we uh,
1: can we explain our rating so we so people understand it? I feel like we might have had a miscommunication in the past. The way we score it is not the goat one of the goats and the goat so when we say something's not the goat we're not saying it's bad we're just saying it's not on top of the mountain and, it, and then the other caveat is if all three of us give it the rating the goat it goes on goat everest all right that becomes so our
0: special movies Ed and brady the goat or one of the goats is a four out of five and a goat is a five out of five
1: I subscribe to the, when I was growing up, we only had four Four stars. Okay. So I say a, a goat is a four star movie for me. And one of the goats is a three and a half star movie for me. And then below that. So that's what I'm saying. A three star movie is by no means bad. That means it's a very good movie, but I don't, don't think it's necessarily one of the goats.
0: Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give this one of the goats. I'm going to give it a, a three and a half star rating. Um, brilliantly shot. Kaminsky was incredible in this movie. I think he if 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 anybody takes home a an Oscar, I think it's him. um I thought it was just brilliantly scored. It's not something that I would rewatch willingly, and I think that that's okay because it's very heavy and harrowing. but at the same time, the cast was so undeniable with with Pepper and Sizemore and Goldberg and and Hanks and Damon. Every single person did bring it. And so I'm gonna say, yeah, it's it's one of the goats. It's a movie that will always be near and dear to my heart. And it's something that I uh will revere going forward. So Brian, hit it.
2: Yeah, I'm going to say one of the GOATs as well. I would say this is one of the GOAT war movies ever. Um, I think what this movie does so well, and I, I mentioned this already, but I feel like it really presents the futility of war and how it's impossible to justify killing and how it's impossible to justify all these decisions that these people have to make. Um so in a way it it is kind of an anti-war movie, right? Um but it's done so tastefully that it didn't offend I, to my knowledge too many veterans. It wasn't like um really making a strong, I would say, political stance. I think it was making more of a basic stance that, you know, war is futile and um it's impossible to justify the the hardships of it. And I think that that is kind of the magic of Spielberg and the way that he made this movie is that he pulled off a movie that has a message that this is all wrong, but also is something that people can can watch and I guess appreciate and in some ways learn from the history of. Um, I would say the other thing that I, I really like and I guess appreciate about Spielberg in this movie are these little moments that happen throughout the entire movie. Like the movie feels like, five or six big scenes and a hundred little details that occur throughout those scenes that are just so memorable. And then sometimes, unfortunately, although it's a war movie, like sometimes you say, like, well, that was pretty cool. Like in a way, the way that it was shot. Right. And I feel like that, that approach that Spielberg took, I would say, and this would be, I guess my double feature would be the movie 1917. I feel like that movie came out just a few years ago and you see a lot of that type of thing where all these little moments happen. And the other thing to think about, like these little moments, I feel like most of these are not just fabricated out of thin air. These are probably moments that somebody's grandfather told them happened, you know, when they were in war and things like that. So I find it fascinating. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is one of the goat war movies for sure.
0: All right, Brady, your pick, your shtick, take us home.
2: So I think,
1: yeah, to to surprise a little bit I'm going with one of the goats um I don't think it's by any means a perfect movie I think there's a little bit a little bit of drag in it but that said I think it is an exceptional movie I think it's the 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 fact that Spielberg was able to make this movie which is a testament to the men that served in World War II while also pointing out just the horrors and the atrocities which are inherent in war because you know like Francis Truck for once you know he famously said there is no anti-war film because anything time you shoot war it'll look cool so you can't even when your theme is this it's impossible to do but i feel like there are like you like you alluded to brian there is moments where like yeah like there's like an exciting thrilling you you know anytime you take a sticky bomb and put it on a tank that looks cool right like those moments are like exciting but then you have moments like a guy picking up his own arm, and that just sticks in your head, or somebody drowning while getting shot while being weighed down by his backpack. Things like that just really stick with you, and I just feel like Spielberg decided to he could have made that really hoorah movie, and it would have been the best hoorah movie you know that could have come around. But he decided to take the approach on this material, being a like you know a, a man who grew up during like the nineteen sixties and stuff. I'm sure that affected him, but he also probably heard those true stories from veterans, from his father and from his father's friends. And they probably weren't hoorah necessarily about their stories. They're, it's really harrowing and it probably was very troubling. And I feel like only he could have gotten a movie at this level of budget that he made this World War II movie that is really asking difficult questions. It's a tough watch. It's, a, it's tough to sit through, but at the same time, Like nearly every young man has probably seen this movie. They watch it with their dad. It's just a movie that's always on TV every year. It's going to be watched around D-Day time. So it's like has that weird thing where it's so it's highly watchable, yet it's extremely dark in a way that most most World War II movies are not while being done by the great the great populist of our times. And I just think that shows the complicated nature of the man. And that like Spielberg was, this movie just, I don't know, I had, you have a weird feeling when you walk out of it because it ends in such a way where it's like the sacrifices that these men made were so harrowing, they were young, they didn't necessarily know what they were getting into, but he was tapping into something where there is nothing, like there's something honorable and heroic about what they did, but it's, it's also like dehumanizing to go to war and learn, learning how to kill somebody. And he chose the one war where people generally like, you know, it's, you're literally fighting the Nazis, but he showed that even in a fight like that, you're faced with decisions where there's no correct answer and you're going to be put in this moral gray area constantly. And I don't know, like there's multiple moments in this movie where I felt like sick to my stomach and yet people watch this movie all the time. I think it's a, it's a definitely beloved movie. And I think only he could have pulled it off in the way that he did. I think he's the guy that is able to take such unpalatable themes and make them in a way that we're able to digest them. And I think that that makes him one of the great filmmakers. And I don't think he gets complete credit. Um, And I think now that he's nearing the end of his career, he's finally getting that credit. But I don't know, there's something about this movie that really affected me. And I think that it's going to be a movie that's watched for, you know, years, to, years to come. It's going to be the, you know, one of the great World War II movies that people look back on. And I just think he changed the way people view the war almost. And that's just something that you got to give him credit to. Cause I think it's just like, a, it's a, it's a paramount movie making right there. I think he's at the pinnacle of his career at this point. Actually, maybe the pinnacle might be Jaws, but you never know.
2: I, I would actually say the pinnacle was ready player one, but I'm not even, <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm half kidding. To be
1: fair, like here's my problem with Spielberg, Not not a problem. I'm like, he's made so many fantastic movies. Like, this should be in any other filmmaker, this should be their best movie. I'm like, I don't know if it's in my top five. Yeah. But yeah. like he's yeah, just that amazing. good. It's like one of the great movies, but he's just incredible.
2: Yeah. yeah. I'm half kidding about Ready Player One, but it's definitely my like guilty pleasure
0: Spielberg movie for sure. Extremely watchable. I think oh, yeah.
1: people like hate on that movie, but again... I love it. <laughs> All
0: right, well. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Saving Private Ryan podcast. Next week, back to my choice and we're going to do a, something something a little lighter, a little uh baseball comedy, Major League. So if you want to watch Major League, it is available on Paramount Plus, Showtime, Hulu. Once again, thank you guys for subscribing, liking and uh promoting the podcast. Check out the Movie Goats pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Thanks again. (laughs) Bye.